My name is Joseph Chombela. I am one of the pastors here at Providence Bible Church. And uh, today is my turn to be able to preach. And we've heard several uh, over the, the last three weeks uh, in this sermon about the way of Jesus, Jesus the way. And my part here is to preach on Jesus the way, how to pray in the way of Jesus. And my focus will be to pray in uh, corporate prayer. But before we do so, I would like for all of us to go in prayer and ask God to take the words that will be through my mouth um, to really press that in your heart as you hear me so that I can produce fruits in your life and mine as well. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you for the grace that I have received to be able to stand here and preach your word to your people. Give me humility to say what you have for us today and not anything else. Bless this time and the people who are gathered here in this place and many other places this morning. May we not return as we came but be instructed in all righteousness for the glory of your name. In your name we pray, amen. So in John chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus saying. And also we see that over the last three weeks, we heard from uh, different speakers here. Uh, we first heard the introduction about the Jesus way by our brother Hunter. And then followed that was uh, um, the way to give monetarily by our brother Josh. And then afterward, we heard last week by our brother Mike, uh, the way to give relationally. Today, I am going to preach on the way to pray. We focus, as I said, on corporate prayer. You see, the truth of Jesus without the way of Jesus cannot produce the life of Jesus. In an increasingly post-Christian society, the church is known for its allegiance to the truth of Christianity, but far too often, the way it goes about proclaiming and demonstrating that truth is incongruent with the message that it offers. In a culture of death and decay, the world is hungry for the life-giving hope of the gospel. This is realized only through the encounter of those who are followers of Jesus, who are filled by the Spirit, living a life that is congruent with the lifestyle of Jesus. How do we embrace lifestyle of Jesus? We do so by practicing spiritual disciplines. And those are almsgiving, prayer, and also fasting. Now, prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is a communication. It's a communion with God. That is prayer. God is the originator of prayer. When we go back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, 
verse 8, the Bible says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the cool of the day. Communion with God, that's prayer. Prayer has been a part of Jewish community over centuries when Jesus walked into the scene. Prayer is a primary language used to communicate with our Heavenly Father. When we travel abroad, you go, for example, to Tanzania, you go to Europe, France specifically, you go to Kenya, all the places where you go where you cannot speak the languages that they speak, what is the need there? You need to learn the language that is spoken in that place. And why do you need to learn that language? Is so that you can be able to communicate with the people in that country. Now, prayer, prayer is a primary language that we use to communicate with God. It is a primary language and it's used by the newborn. This is important because if I would ask you a question, does a one-day-old baby talk? The answer would be no. They don't talk, but truly they do talk because mothers will tell you when, uh, when the baby cries a certain way, they are like, yeah, the baby needs milk. How did you figure that out? You see, well, because the baby talk, they do talk in a certain way. Now, prayer is also one of those. Prayer is a primary language. It's also the language at the cradle. It is the language of the newborn. This language is unlike French is unlike English, Spanish, or Swahili. Unlike all of these languages that I have said, there are no accents with prayer. That is important. For example, in English, here in the United States, we have different accents. We have Texan accent, we have Western accent, we have country accent, just to name a few. And people, like myself, with whose primary language has no connection to English whatsoever. We bring our own accent just to add to the mess. <laughs> and there are ample chances in, with those accents, accents that we have to miscommunicate whatever we're trying to say. I'll give you an example from a book uh, by Dr. Jamie Mangatia um, that is titled Lifted by Hope. She was invited to preach somewhere else. And she spent the whole week preparing for the message. The whole week prayerfully and praying to God, being like, God, please let me know what you would like your people to hear because you know them better. And she prepared very well. And she was supposed to preach to the, the kids and also to the adults. After the, the preaching was over, a seven-year-old approached her and was like, were you speaking in Spanish? She stooped down and she said, she gave, her, she gave the, the boy a hug. She was like, no, I, did, I, speak, I speak in English, but my English is from Kenya. It does have accent. <laughs> but the, the adults actually couldn't give any positive, positive feedback to uh, Mama Jemima either. When they encountered her later on, they said, we like the testimony that you gave about your life. It actually encouraged us a lot, and we liked your accent. 
Where did the, all of the interpretation go? Where did the introduction go? Where did the um, development of the word go? And where did the conclusion go? All of those, they passed by. Because of the accent, they could only cling on one thing. But Mama Jemima gave herself hope, saying that God will use his word and translate that into the hearts of people. But it's, it's not like that with prayer. When we communicate with our God, we use different vocabularies. Listen, we use different vocabularies but no accent because of the experiences that we have been through. Because of those experiences, we use different vocabularies, but we don't have an accent. Because our God in heaven, he listened to our prayers. He listened to things spoken in secret. So he's not going to misunderstand you. When you were born, you were not born with uh, your language. You know, at the cradle, you, didn't, you were not born with English. You learned it as all of us learned other languages. And for some of us, English is a third, fourth, or maybe fifth language. And there are actually chances that when we die, we won't be speaking English. Because research points out that when you grow old, you start losing those secondary and third and fourth languages. They just go. You, you may think speaking English, but all of a sudden, Swahili just sifted through. But unlike those languages that we learn, prayer is different. As we grow old and mature, guess what? Our vocabularies get richer because of all the goodness of God that we have seen throughout the ages. I anticipate that you probably saying, I don't know how to pray. But my question to you is, who does? Romans 8 says, and likewise also, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as one ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us in unexpressed groaning. So we don't know how to pray. And then remember, prayer is the language at the cradle. It is the language of the newborn. So that you don't come back and turn around and be like, with another objection, be like, I'm just a new believer. That's a language for you. It is a language for us as a corporate body. It is a language for us. And another thing I want to add to that is like, prayer is the language, is the street language. Because you may have an objection like, oh, it's only those spiritual people who pray. Or it's only those who are mature who pray. Or those who went to school, you know, theology, and have, they have all of those backgrounds of professional career in theology and things of God who pray. No. Prayer is a language that is spoken in the street. So you can pray. Providence can pray. We all can pray. Now, we spoke about prayer being a primary language and the language of the cradle, but let's look at prayer as an observance. Over centuries past, God chose a group of people called Israelites. He rescued them from Egypt, and he also gave them a land. As well, he gave them Torah to observe. 
And he also gave them a sacrificial system um, that had its accomplishment when Christ went on the cross. Now, Israelites worshipped God by observing the Torah before God. This translates to three acts of worship spoken of in Matthew chapter 6. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Especially when they were outside, like they were um, deported, taken away from their land. They didn't have the temple to go to to offer. These are the things that they clinged on to in order for them to continue to worship their God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, it talks like this uh, about prayer. It says this. When you pray, listen to me. It says, when you pray. Not when, not if you pray. I want to say that one more time. In Matthew, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, when you pray as opposed to if you pray. But what does that imply? That means that prayer is a part of Christian life. It's not something that is added unto your life. Um, in the book that we were reading, The Jesus Way, it says this. Prayer is not something added unto the Christian life, or any life for that matter. It is the language in which that life is lived out, nurtured, developed, um, revealed, informed. The language in which it believes, loves, explores, and seeks, and finds. That is prayer. Now, let's read Matthew chapter 6 one more time, verse 5 to 8. It says this. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets in order that they may be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But whenever you pray, enter into your inner room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, do not bubble repetitiously like the pagans. For they think that because of their many words, they will be heard. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Beloved, Jesus is not against praying while standing. Jesus is not against public prayer. Jesus is not against praying in a synagogue. But Jesus is against the intent or the motivation of hypocrites. The Jews prayed three times a day. They had morning prayer. They had uh, also night prayer. They also had uh, prayer at the time of sacrifice, which is roughly at 3 p.m. This meant wherever you were, when the clock struck 3, you were to pray there and then. Now the hypocrites with their ostentatious approach, wanting to be conspicuous about their piety, would order their life, like arrange their life, to make sure that that time when it the clock strikes three, they are either in the market, marketplace or they are in the synagogue or they are at the street corner. And the intent was that so that people can see 
how they are pious, praying God. The Bible says that they have no reward with the Father. Jesus is not against uh, repetition, but he is against meaningless. So the emphasis is on the meaningless, meaningless repetitions. He knows our needs before even we speak it. The fundamental question for, for you today, or for all of us today, is that when we pray, from where does our reward come? To where or who do we look for acceptance, uh, affection, approval? If it's not our Father, our Heavenly Father, then our focus is misguided. Matthew chapter 6 can be viewed both individually or it can also be viewed in a communal sense. Because if you take, for example, on verse 9, it says, our Father who is in heaven. It doesn't say, my Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. So it can be viewed in a communal sense. Now, I would like for us to take a look, given Jesus has given us how to pray, to take a look at the resurrected community, how they prayed in the midst of their troubles and tribulation they had. This community of uh, uh, the resurrected, they was being formed when, in Acts chapter, uh, just in the book of Acts, if you go to Acts chapter 4 specifically, but this community was being formed, and it was coming together in a moment when you had on one side opportunism of Josephus, and on the other, you had also the zealots. So opportunism of Josephus was like the way of the world. And also, on the other side, you had the way of religion. Hello? Again, that was French. So just bear with me. <laughs> so you have those on both sides. And uh, the Christian was supposed to walk on that narrow path that was traced by their master. Unfortunately, that situation, it's not like it's gone or done with. We still have the same situation. We still have opportunism and violence together with us in this world as we live. It is as well part of our society as it was back then. When Peter and John were arrested, by, uh, were called by the Sanhedrin, and they were questioned, and they were told, you are not to speak again anymore on the name of Jesus or preach on the name of Jesus. They responded and said, are we to, to, to follow men or respect God? And then when they came back to the community of the believers and they told them what had transpired, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, until thoroughly, the Bible says this, and when they heard it, they lifted their voice with one mind to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the things in them. The one who said to the Holy, through the, by the Holy Spirit, through, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the nations rage and the people conspire in vain? The kings of the earth stood opposed, and the rulers assembled together at the same place against the Lord and against his Christ. For in the truth, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together in this city against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do all that your hand and plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, concern yourself 
with their threats and grant your slaves to speak your message with all boldness as you extend your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is their response when the world has stood against them. When religion has stood against them. This is the response of the community, of the people, of the resurrected. This is the response that they responded. Is to look at God and say that, God, you are sovereign. We know that you reign. Have you ever prayed a sovereign prayer? Like saying to God, you are sovereign in the midst of your situation. Most of the time when we have problems that are difficult, we don't want to pray, God, you are sovereign. We want to take the wheel and try to drive the car. Praying God's servant is not an easy thing. No wonder Psalm number two does not make it to the top list of Psalm memorized. But also saying that God is sovereign does not take away the need to pray. God is sovereign. Can, he can do anything, but sometimes he chooses not to do things until we pray. When circumstances are out of control, there is tendency, as I said, to walk the way of the world. Or the way of religion. There's a tendency to take matters into our own hands. But remember that the truth of Jesus without the way of Jesus cannot produce the life of Jesus. This emphasizes this emphasize actually the point that's made in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. It says that the, the gate is small and the path is narrow. It's not just that the gate is small but even the path is narrow. So following Jesus has everything to do with this world, but has nothing in common with this world. David, when he was in his situation, his circumstances, acknowledged the, the sovereignty of God. In Psalm chapter 11, he reads this. Hey, in Yahweh, I have taken refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee to your mountain like a bird? For look... The wicked string, the bow, they have lifted, they have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot from the darkness at the upright of heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What would you answer to that question? Are you going to strategize? Are you going to look for means of uh, Josephus? Are you going to look for the strategy of arrow to try to cling to power? Or are you going to look at Caiaphas? No. But this person who prayed God, he looked at in the heaven. He said, Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh is in the heavens and on his throne. That's where he lifted his eyes and looked up when the foundations are destroyed. You see, at the close of century or the first century, We had Herod calling all the shots. We had the zealots filling all the headlines in the news. We had this Josephus who went to die, and he died peacefully in the comfort of the, the patronage of Rome. But we also had this community of the believers who prayed this prayer in Acts chapter 4, still marginalized. 
No wonder we don't go to Psalm chapter 2, try to pray that prayer. Because the situations around us doesn't really translate, does it? But the truth is, God still reigns. And the reign of God is not like um, a theory. It's a reality. Christ is in his throne. One problem is that we think circumstances are not the same as they were before. That's what we think. At least I am guilty of that. Sometimes I look at those old uh, community that was studying, like in the very beginning uh, of the resurrected. I look at that community. I'm like, yeah, they were persecuted. Some of them were thrown to the lions, dance, and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, we're not in that moment. But the truth is, those circumstances are still with us even today. They are. And that's the reason why it calls for prayer. It calls for corporate prayer. In the world today, we have starvation. Starvation in Somalia, in Yemen. We have wars in diverse places in the world. We have mass shooting happening in our neighborhoods, in our stores, and everywhere. These, these are the things that should call for us, the people of God, to go pray that word that is found in Psalms chapter 2. It is, these are the things that should push us toward that prayer, to call upon the Lord and be like, you are the one who reigns above all of this. But if we don't do that, the tendency will be to take matters into our own hands and try to grab the skills that Herod is presenting. Try to grab the deceitfulness of this Josephus. Try to manipulate things on our own way to try to get the result that we want. But that won't get us anywhere. Now, When we look at the world around us, we see like things are looking really bad. They don't look pretty. And uh, this Christian community, back in Acts chapter 4, they prayed a prayer, being like, God, you reign. And God, right after they prayed, they received the Holy Spirit to be able to preach the word boldly. They didn't sit back, just relaxed. We prayed a prayer, and that is no. They actually prayed a prayer, and they acted on it. But... When we look at all of those, we, we look with the lenses of human, we are like, well, it looks like Christianity is still in the margin, right? It hasn't actually been the mainstream, and it has not actually, we don't see Christ being king. We don't see all of those happening. But the truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is planted. It is the smallest of the trees, of the seeds, but when it is planted, when it grows, it sprouts, it becomes really a big tree where everybody, all the, the animals can find refuge under it. And the birds of the sky can find also the nest in there. Jesus, when he walked into the scene, he started with the 12 people. No many, only 12 people. But when we look around today, we see that that mustard seed has produced a lot and a lot. We need to put on the lenses of Christ and look at things in that way. But if we put on the lenses of the world, we won't be able to see that. But at the same time, we also need to see things that are happening around our neighborhood to push us to call upon the name of the Lord 
and pray that prayer that says in Matthew chapter 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, let it become, let's come among us, let it rule in the world that we have. The situation is our neighborhoods, we need to pray for the kingdom of God to come. The situation in our families, we need to pray for the kingdom of God to come. I am encouraged a lot by this community of the believers. When we have problems that, uh, such as when we wanted uh, to have another center for cross-purpose in Aurora, I saw this community gathered together in prayer, seeking the Lord. And the pastor who was preaching the, that day, he spoke about this king who actually, in order for him to go to war, his name is just, uh, Josephat, in order for, me to, to, for him to go to war, he actually took the singers. Who does that in this world? He took the singers, he put them in the front of the army. You don't want to do that, you'll get hurt. He puts them in the front in order for them to go and sing the praises to God. That's countercultural. That doesn't work. But those are the tools in our toolbox. If we try to go and grab Saul's armor, we're going to get hurt. Believers, I am encouraged, and my prayer for you today is that looking at all the brokenness around us, that we will press forward. And I would like to say another thing is like our prayer shouldn't be like a monotony. Our prayer shouldn't be just like one way of praying. Because there are circumstances in life that when they get us, uh, they are more difficult or they have different facets when you look at them. And your prayer needs to be adaptive as well. Your prayer has to be one of those prayers you have the boots on and it has to be the prayer that you have the boots off. But if you confuse those two, you're either going to be tired or you won't rise up to the occasion to pray. Now, how a public prayer should reflect the time we spent, we spend in privacy. And when we grasp the situation that we are in, our need for prayer becomes clear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I praise and honor your name for the grace that I have received today to be able to preach the word to your people. And my heart is nurtured by this word as well to press on in prayer and use the tools that you have given us as a congregation to seek you and not seek the words of the world. Praise be given to you now and forever. And you alone, as Mama Jemima prayed the other day, you will take this word and translate it in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name, amen.